What was cool about the Beacon Jams is that it all went together. Orchestral gestures, the strings, the horn lines. It was like a strangely unexpected gift. Like I always felt like I had to go in five different tours to incorporate all this stuff. So it's like a solo acoustic tour. It's like a trio tour. Then there's like a funky five-piece tour. Then there's like an orchestra tour. Then there's a Goes to the Forest tour. It was all in there in a digestible form and unified. It was really, really deeply, deeply satisfying. I don't know if I've ever been so happy. Welcome back to Alive Again. On the final episode of the series, you'll hear Trey Anastasio talk about the creation of Ghosts of the Forest, writing music during the quarantine, the impact of the beacon jams, and the creation of the Divided Sky Foundation and the new treatment center in Vermont. Thanks for tuning in. I think when Ghost of the Forest was happening, that was very informed by Hands on Harvey. My friend died, and it kind of felt like my childhood was dying. My name is Ray Patchkowski. I'm the keyboardist in the Trey Anastasio band. Those songs are, were pretty powerful to me because Trey writing his friend there who died, Seacott, like I knew him as well. It's about a lot of things, but a lot of it is about that. I don't know, when I was in the hospital, Trey would come and visit all the time. And, you know, Seacott had just died. And so now here was his other friend, same thing. You know, like, what the hell, what's going on? So he was freaking out and he was just, I need to talk to you. You know, like, like what? I don't understand what this is. It's like killing me. You know, I loved him. We met the first day I was at boarding school and I went to boarding school, you know, two days after my parents got divorced. They kind of like, dropped me off at boarding school and oh, by the way, we're... So I was feeling like everything was falling apart and I met this guy and so he kind of came to represent a transitional period for me, I was 15. I sat with him when he was dying, you know, and it really hit me. So it's not specifically about him as much, but I, but I allowed myself to go there and just say what I was actually feeling. I mean, Hands on a Hard Body was a turning point for me, too, because by watching Amanda and Doug write, I watched them have the guts to write, you know, in such a elegant and brave way. I think the Broadway influence, if you want to call that, is just another piece in the recipe for how to make a song. Ghost of the Force was a show. It's like somewhere between a rock concert and like a musical theater kind of event. I, I did a lot of work together with Abby Holmes, who did the visuals. She's a genius. The two of us went out to coffee and started planning the whole thing from a visual and audio standpoint before the band was even, the music wasn't even done. She contributed to talking about the way the thing was gonna unfold. You know, there was a narrative to that show. Trey, at the beginning of it, he was like, look, I'm, you know, this is going to be a show. He didn't say Broadway or something, but I know he had worked on the musical. So I think that was in his head a little bit. Like, how do you put on a show? You know, and it's like the same show. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of an experiment for him, but he wanted to do this music. Um, Seacott had always told him, oh, you got you to make a band uh, with Fishman and Ray, you know, like that, because that would be great. And so that was part of it, too. It was like to honor his friend, I think. So it was, you know, like a, a requiem in a way. My name is Jen Hartswick, and I play trumpet and sing in the Trina Sesio Band. I loved the Ghost of the Forest experience. The material was so deep and so heartfelt because of, you know, the subject matter at hand. And I think in putting that band together, Trey was having a moment of like, I want my favorite people here. 
and then had this realization that Fishman and Tony had never played together despite knowing each other for decades. And then I've really never spent time with Fishman either. And so it's like all these people who are super important to him, uh, yet they've never spent time together. So learning that music was really beautiful. I start having these moments of realization. For instance, Tony and Fish had never played together before. I was like, oh my God, you guys, you're like two of my best friends. You gotta play together. That had a lot to do with why I was like, on this project, I'll ask to start with those guys. I don't think Jennifer had ever toured with Fish, which is, my mind reels at that, being that they're two of my favorite. I mean, I'm closer with the two of them than just about anybody on earth. I mean, deep, deep, deep soul connections with both of them. And it's kind of like, I mean, they knew each other, but they had never actually toured together. I'm always trying to bring my friends together. And for all the years that I have known Trey, I understood him on a completely new level watching him and Fishman interact. I was like, this, this is deep. Yeah. I was like, oh man. Trey and I speak the same language because we've been speaking it for so long. These guys don't have to look at each other, don't have the luxury of looking at each other because one's behind the other. And so it's this really insanely magical thing that happens between the two of them where they're having a full-on conversation with nothing other than emotion and music. I had this moment with Jennifer that was so cool. We were like at the Greek theater or something doing Ghost of the Forest. And we kind of went backstage and she said, you know, I understood the John Fishman thing, but not completely. Like it wasn't until she stood in between the two of us that she understood the depth of the connection. Working with Fishman is great. I love playing with him. He'll go anywhere. You want to go that way? Okay, here we go. We would feed each other. It just, we just start breaking up the rhythm to like fives and sevens. It's like jumping off a cliff, you know, and hoping that you can fly <laughs> or something. And then trying to land at the same time. He's a master at that. And so that was, that was really fun. Getting to arrange things together and having it all grow together was really special. And I just thought the material was like beautiful and cool and it was so heartfelt. Doing the same set every night is really nice. If you knew what was coming, so you could hold back or add in the, and you could think ahead a little bit, and my, for myself anyways. You know, there were so many people who heard it who were affected by it in a completely different way. Um, you know, so many people who were hurting from dealing with loss and dealing with all these things and to have something really specific that they could cling on to and feel like they were going through it with him was really moving. Um, and, and I wasn't expecting that to be quite so prevalent, but people were really, really outspoken about it. It was heavy, so it was all very heavy. I mean, there's a couple songs in there that I would be crying at the end of them every night. They're so powerful. I don't cry much in the tab sets. <laughs> it was really interesting, and I told him that. I said, you know, halfway through the tour, I was like, man, I gotta tell you, this is, I am learning so much that he goes, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Sue and I was like right here the whole time. You know, New York was pretty weird in the pandemic. I used to practice a lot just out of my obsession with loving playing the guitar. COVID has like brought that back into my life. It makes me so happy. I do work hard, but it's fun work. I always work in the morning. I, I love the morning and I get up stupid early, like 4.50 kind of early. I make coffee. I get up and I write. When the light's coming through the window, I just love that. And I just like walk around the house and just play. I like look at the plants and the cats. I may end up with pandemic nostalgia after. Because once I got going on the lonely trip stuff, it's like, God, I forgot how much I like recording in the bedroom or, you know, wherever it is, the living room. 
it's really great. I always kind of hoped that the joy that I always experienced or me and my friends for tracking in the living room, that the gear would catch up with the personal nature. Now the gear is good enough that you can put out a proper album. Hi, my name is Jeff Tansky. I'm one of Trey's musical collaborators. The title track of, the, of that album, Lonely Trip, is, is a song that I love because the melody is so simple and beautiful and you can strip everything away other than the melody and it's still something that you kind of sing to yourself as you walk down the street. So while you're on this lonely trip, keep a watch for other ships And if by chance our vessels pass While you're on this lonely trip, keep a watch for other ships and if by chance our vessels pass Perhaps we'll finally meet at last I do feel, you know, certainly not that his earlier stuff wasn't melodic. It absolutely was. But I, I just feel like it's his newer material has, you know, a lot more direct in that way. And I, and I find the lyrics to be more general in a lot of ways. Like they speak, even though they might be saying something really specific, they're sort of vague enough in the, in the best possible way that um, I just think it invites a lot more people from all different walks of life to connect to his songs. He's definitely, I think, a lot more direct now. And I think he, he definitely lets his songs speak for himself. In some ways, they're really like elaborate demos. So like the Lonely Trip songs and all the way through the last one, like Forward People, those would normally have been demos in the old days. I know they're gonna blow up when the, um, when the band starts playing them. So like when we played with The Roots, like I Never Needed You Like This Before, it was so slamming. Uh, that was on the Fallon show. Performing the song I Never Needed You Like This Before from his new surprise album, Lonely Trip. And I'm the only person that has this album because it doesn't exist. <laughs> Here in studio, I can't believe I'm saying this, is the great Trey Anastasio! live music oh my gosh thank you thank you thank you so much trey anastasio ladies and gentlemen hi i'm patrick jordan i manage trey and co-manage fish throughout the pandemic trey would call richard glasgow and myself almost every day asking when he could play music again and begging <laughs> to have a situation uh, where he could play guitar. So we started talking through various ideas about what kind of string we put together. In typical Trey fashion, things always tend to snowball. It went from Trey doing just solo acoustic in a small room. I think that actually the first conversation Trey and I had was solo acoustic with some robo cams in rubber jungle and then we moved on to this idea of doing it in a black box sort of theater it moved into we think we need more room richard suggested that we call our friends at madison square garden hi my name is russ lawton drummer for the trey anastasio band yeah i met richard call me at glasgow and he's like we're going to try to do this thing for eight to ten weeks or whatever and yeah i'm in man <laughs> You know, it was a little scary going to the city. That town was blown up with the virus. The hotel was right there, the beacon. I didn't go anywhere. I brought all my food. Luckily, I had a kitchen. I didn't buy go out anywhere, you know. I walked to rehearsal. I just was cautious. My name is James Casey, and I am the saxophone player slash background singer slash other percussion player slash other keys player in the Trey Anastasio band. When the beacon jams ended up coming up, 
Uh, Richard hit me up and was like, hey, James, I think we got something that we can, might do, and uh, here's our idea. Do you think that this can happen? I'm like, I, look, I haven't played with anyone. I hadn't played with anyone else in eight months. And he's like, yo, we're doing it. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> oh, my God. You don't even, man, you don't, you don't understand if you've been doing something your whole life and then you can't do it. So when it turned out that that was going down, man, look. I, <laughs> he was like, we're going to find a way to do it. I had the shield. I had, like, N95s. I had other masks. I had, we had to find a way to do it. And we found a way to make it happen. I got tested so many times while I was there, but it was great. My name is Natalie Cressman. I play trombone and sing in Trey Anastasio's band. I have just been pretty much staying at home in lockdown mode the whole time. So getting on a plane to, from San Francisco to New York was a big deal. The laws kept changing. So at one point I had to go two weeks early and then I was like, okay, now only five days early, that's enough. So it was exciting and different and kind of scary <laughs> all at the same time. But they did such a good job making it feel safe and having the testing daily and all the protocol was really on point. So that made it better. I mean, I was essentially in my house, just like everybody else, doing the thing that they said we had to do. So to get a call saying, hey, this is the idea, and it'll be different every week. And we're not exactly sure even what it looks like. And we're damn sure not sure how we're going to pay for it. <laughs> but can you come to New York? And at that time, you had to quarantine for two weeks before you could even show your face. So I came in two weeks. So I was in New York for six weeks um, because I did the last four and was staying in the hotel beacon right above the beacon. And all my friends were like downstairs playing music and I couldn't go see them. And it sucked. <laughs> you can't even enter the building without a negative COVID test from the last 48 hours. It was really severe and rightfully so. And no one got sick for two months. Hi, I'm Don Hart. When he first approached me, I think it was a little different in a couple ways. There were just some things he didn't know at the time, how, how things would work out from a standpoint of... Uh, the pandemic and everything. We were talking about actually a little different ensemble at first. As the Beacon Jams were coming together, I think in his heart of hearts, he was hoping to get a lot of musicians involved and to actually like perform some of those orchestral arrangements. And then as, as things were developing, it just became clear that we had to keep things smaller and, you know, for lots of, of different reasons. But that idea never left his head that like, maybe I can use some of these arrangements now. He just kind of asked, would if I would ever consider doing a piano reduction of some of those arrangements. And so that's kind of how it all started. And so I, I did a handful and I played them for him and he liked them. And then we kind of just got the ball rolling and it, and it took off. We had no plans at the beginning. We didn't even know what was going to happen. We were kind of like, oh, and it just ended up kind of based on like the limitations. Like we had to do that. I remember calling Don at the beginning. I'm like, hey, man, can you take that orchestral version of such and such a song and cram it down to just four. And he was kind of like, can I have at least eight? I mean, I can't really make it four. And it's kind of like, nope, gotta be four. And then it's kind of like, well, how can we solve this? You know, can can I play one of the lines of the guitar? Or can like Jeff Tansky play the low end on the piano? Or it's a pandemic, this is what you got. You can't always have the largest group that you imagine for something. You have to figure out a way for something to be artistic in its own right, even though it's not this grand, glorious, huge thing. There's value to just understatement at times. We were talking about a, a bigger instrumentation at first. I mean, Trey has always, he's always come up with unique ideas. You know, I always think he's looking for the, the best foot forward in, in any situation. And th I mean, this was just the, the perfect storm for that, really. Nobody really knew what it was going to be. I don't think Trey did. He had a sense. But, you know, at the beginning, it was going to be we were going to record these shows and then stream them. Um, and he was like, no, 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 it has to be live. And that's what it became, a, a live thing, and which I think is was brilliant. Like, yeah, it's like a live show. You tune in every week. The challenge that we were facing as we were putting this together is just the budget kept growing and growing. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about the folks at MSG. 
in terms of their support and willingness to not only let us use their venue, but support the shows financially. But we still needed to get it online and everything. Trey woke up maybe four weeks before the first show and had an epiphany that these shows need to be free. This has been the hardest year. And, you know, people are out of work and fans have been so generous with dinner and a movie. He just has these instinctual moments where he just knows the right direction. The Twitch part of it, once again, the universe conspired to create something that was way better than we could have even envisioned when we first started talking about it. Because Twitch just happened to be at a place in their history and their time where they were able to support this financially, but it also kind of opened up this, let's make this more interactive. They thrive on that. You know, their whole platform is built on talking to your audience. In hindsight, it's still shocking that it came together. An idea of that magnitude came together in such a short amount of time, except what's not shocking about it is that the whole industry was just at a halt at that point. So we were able to tap into the resources and the brain power and the time of the full time of everybody on our team. So he had gotten in touch with me about it, you know, about a month or two before the first show. There's so much unknown as to how this was all going to come together that it was really hard to even think beyond the first week. We, You know, he certainly was thinking about the whole thing, but, you know, at that week, it was, we just needed to get our foot in the door. And so it was all about making sure that that first show was the best show it could possibly be. And we'll figure out the next shows after that. Trey had a, basically a calendar sort of in his head of how to just make it a little different each week until the last two weeks would be the full, would be everyone, you know, like full on. A bunch of curveballs happened in that. So it wasn't quite what he had originally planned, but it became even better. I think it was just improvised week to week. And after the first week, you know, I got a call and they said, we're going to get a string quartet in here. You know, what, what songs do we have? You know, when the strings got involved the second week, then that that also upped my participation significantly because, you know, he had this this idea that with a string quartet, I know I can do, you know, so much stuff because I have all these wonderful arrangements already. And with, you know, with me there, he just asked me, hey, do you know some good string players? You know, he could have asked anyone he wanted to, but he, he very much understanding the situation that, you know, we had all been out of work for so long and that I had tons of friends you know out of work he basically let me hire people that i love and trust and you know i've worked with before you know i had an inkling that he was certainly going to keep bringing them back but i, I didn't want to assume anything and then it wasn't until the next day you know on, on saturday he called me he's like hey okay we should we should definitely bring the strings back i was never taking anything for granted um but i you know i'm thrilled that we were able to keep them involved the whole time it was many years ago now I really can't be sure It's when it all began then I had the knock upon my door And the wolfman's brother The wolfman's brother Came down on me Every week we focused so hard on making that show the best that it could possibly be. And then the next weekend, there was never any thought at all about saving something to the end. You know, he was just always making every show just as good as it could be on its own. And what's so amazing is that just the way it naturally came together was that over the course of those eight, there really was an amazing arc. And you could definitely fool someone <laughs> you know, into thinking that this whole thing had been premeditated from from week one, but it really wasn't. It just kept on kind of mushrooming every week. Got in a routine where Friday night happened, and you know, I got the call the next morning and figure out what we're going to do the next Friday night. So it, it, it was pretty exhilarating, actually. <laughs> so. It was a lot like sort of a Saturday Night Live week. 
Saturday morning, I was already thinking. I have my big poster boards that I use. So the shows were Friday nights, and then I would get a call on Saturday morning, um, you know, around 10, and he would say, okay, that was great. This, these are all my ideas for, um, you know, for the next show. You know, the way the weeks would go is, you know, Saturday was our planning day, and, he, you know, he was on the phone with, with everyone, you know, all day long. And on Saturday and Sunday, we'd have a rough set list that we are kind of working towards or just enough for me to get prepared in case there was something I needed to learn or there was something that I needed to get a chart together for the band to learn. I was working very closely with Don because we were using a lot of arrangements that he had already done, but he also was writing brand new ones, you know, specifically for these concerts. Mondays and Tuesdays were kind of our days to just get everything together. And then Wednesdays, I would work with the strings in the morning and get them up to speed as to what we were doing. And then the band would meet that afternoon. Um, and then on Thursdays, we would have we would rehearse all day at the theater with everyone together. And Fridays, we would rehearse the afternoon and then have you know the show that night. And it's just the way it went for, for eight weeks. It was an amazing job, I have to say. I'm thrilled to have done that. I, I need to do a little shout out to Jeff Tansky, who really almost single-handedly made all the writing I did in the Beacon Jams possible because he was doing like all the takedown and the score setup and everything for me. And he was really good at it and really fast. So the Beacon Jams were pretty complex and they all came together minutes before the camera went on. I was still like, you know, everybody lay out in this section, strings you start here, whatever. You know, I love doing that. Alive Again will return after a quick break. Oh my God. This is so cool that we can talk like this. You know, it's not that I don't like regular concerts. I mean, I do. <laughs> but it's nice to be able to talk to you guys like this. Interesting. Uh, well, Craigum1978 is asking the question of the hour. It's fun watching these things go by and picking one out to talk about. So Craig, uh, Craigum says, is it weird not playing to a crowd, no feedback, no applause? It's different, Craig. But one of the things that I thought is interesting is that people, like in interviews and stuff over the years, have asked me, like, my favorite thing about being in a band. And the first thing out of my mouth is often band practice. Like, but the one part that um, I kind of wish we could share with like everyone in our community is like how much fun band practice is. And part of me felt like this is a little bit like that. Um, you know, like people are just joking around, you get into a jam, you just kind of lose it, you know, your sense of place. And then everybody's kind of joking around afterwards. So I'm kind of looking at it like that, like welcome to um, the kind of private space, but now we get to have everybody in here. And you know, the other thing is when life gives you pandemic, make pandemic aid. I don't know. I mean, this is what we got. And the God's honest truth is we're having a great time. Oh, okay. Okay, let's keep that going for a second. Yeah, um, okay. Where are you? First of all, I'm gonna send this song out just to get this whole thing started here. First of all, happy birthday, Tal. This is for you. Where's Tal? You're out there. Happy birthday, Tal. Second of all, happy birthday, Uncle Kevin. My daughter's Uncle Kevin. Up in Burlington right now. I think, I think you're watching in Essex. Wishing you the happiest birthday. For those of you in our community who have ever been up there to higher ground over the years, anyway. Kevin, love you. Happy birthday. So this is for Tal and Uncle Kevin. And I hope you have a great day. But it was weird not playing in front of people at first, for sure. The stage was set up with our backs to the audience. I thought that was a good move. And the interaction with the outside world was this little TV screen stuff that I couldn't read flowing up through it, you know? That was odd, but after the first night of doing it, finished the first song, and then it's, yay, you know? <laughs> and in this, in this giant theater, we all just kind of looked at each other, and I think I started laughing. It was just like, this is so bizarre. 
But then after that, it, it became, it was like, oh, it's kind of nice because you stop the song and then it's like everyone takes a breath and looks at each other. It's like, wow, that was, that was fun. It was different, but our backs were to this, you know, the audience or whatever, if they were there. It was really smart and it was cool. And we just had a vibe going and then we, you know, we talked between songs and it was more, it wasn't like we're banging out a set. They had that board and people's, you know, sending comments. The minute people got a sense that he was really reading stuff and, you know, calling people out and thanking people, it just blew up. We had to like work out a system for him to be able to like, you know, read what was happening. It was like going by it speeds that I've never seen anything like that before. It was just really interactive and it was fresh and it was new to our community. I mean, it was a huge learning curve for, for us uh, behind the scenes, but it, it, you know, it really worked out. Trey's on the, he's the face, you know, and he's standing up there and he's the voice going out to this TV screen, <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, Salmonella 559. What are you doing? You know, like, it, it, was, it was so bizarre. So he, but he completely embraced it and was like, oh yeah. But after every show, he'd be like, Ray, just say funny things. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like, Tony is so good at that. Just the deadpan. I did what I could, but if you let me go, I would say the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I mean, it really felt like this beautiful chance to connect with the fans. Even though it was just us and the crew in the Beacon, it felt like this bonding moment with the community. And I know a lot of people tuned in and it lifted a lot of people's spirits, but it lifted my spirit just to be there and be able to, you know, see my family, you know, my musical family and, um, and play some music and know that it was making people really happy. I was also really touched by the fact that it, for a lot of families, it was the first time that they got to show their kids what Tab was all about. And the videos that I was getting sent and tagged in with all these kids dancing around with pots and pans, you know, it was just like, this is one way that the internet rocks, you know, like there's ways that it sucks, but this is just so special. One of my favorite weeks was week six. Fish had committed at the beginning to two weeks. He was gonna do Ghost of the Forest, and then he was gonna stay. So I was like, well, that takes the pressure off me because I can put all of the many Fish-type songs that can't be played without John Fishman. Some of that stuff is just iconically John Fishman. The feel just wouldn't be right. So he came down for Ghost of the Forest, and the kind of the show ended, and he just, had some personal stuff going on in his life, and he was just like, man, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but I just, I gotta go home. And I was kinda like, fine, great, I no worries at all. And he left, and I had nothing for week six, nothing. I was just like in shock. So then I started scrambling. I was calling Russ, and I was like, can you try this song? Can you try this song? Can you try Free? It's one of the songs we did. Can you try Horn? And then I had Russ and Ray come down and I started hammering through all these songs like at Carol Music, trying to figure out which ones are gonna feel right. And some of them kind of felt awesome, like MoMA dance. The ones I didn't expect, bouncing around the room. I'm like, wow, hey, that's pretty cool. Other ones, it was like, nope. And so then I started bringing everybody else in and like running home and like rearranging and trying to get this thing to work. And we would just practice right up until like minutes before the lights went down. Some weeks I would just stay in New York because after the show Friday night, I get a phone call Saturday morning. It's like, can you come in the studio on Sunday? And then we would work all week and on, you know, some of the music I had never played before in my life. <laughs> you know, like it was very focused, very, uh, it was deadline work. It was really interesting. It's like, okay, this is the songs for the week and we're going to play them all on Friday at seven o'clock. So good luck. The sixth one, we did a lot of fish songs, so we I needed to rehearse more, get my butt kicked in. A lot of practicing in my room, walk into rehearsal with the recording on my headphones. 
I'm like, I don't say I'm a super quick learner, but I just do it over and over till I get it. That's kind of what I've always done. Russ and I have really gotten into a tear in a, in a beautiful way. He likes to learn and practice. And so like I'd call him up in the morning and be like, dude, try, try this one, try that one, you know, try this new song. The cool thing about like at the Beacon was that he was playing a lot of stuff that based on just the situation there, he was playing some stuff that I hadn't heard him play before. The first one that I joined in on was Ghost of the Forest, which was so fun. And then we were supposed to not be involved on the next week. <laughs> And he was like, wait, oh, you can't go. We're like, oh, uh, okay. That week was maybe the most fun week for me because it was all, I think, exclusively, if maybe not quite, but all fish songs and all stuff that I didn't know. And so we essentially got to like arrange these songs we'd never heard in a manner that felt right to us. And so it was super fun. It was just like all brand new stuff to us. So I think it's just like it brought a, a boatload of joy to that night. The outcome was just unexpected and tapped into a new realm of, I think, what could happen in the future in terms of some arrangements for some classic songs that Trey never thought he'd bring the tab, but kind of had to because he had already played all these songs and knew that he was going to leave like some of those tabs greatest hits for the last two weeks when James and Natalie would be there and you know, the whole band would be together. And so it did end up being a really special week. We had so much fun that week in rehearsal. We were just off the cuff, making stuff up, trying to figure this out. It was a cool week. That's the one that started with Yem, with the woman. Woman! couldn't have happened at a better time <laughs> you know it was like it, we all needed it the band needed it people needed it the world needed i don't know it just needed to happen and you know through a bunch of serendipitous things and then uh actually working at it with the trace management and, and everything um they, they pulled it off it was it was amazing it was a very successful and it was so cool I mean, especially looking back now, knowing that that was the last time we got to hang and play with Tony, it's like so special. My name is Ciro Batista, and I'm, uh, I'm the percussionist from Trey Anastasio band, Tony. We spent so much time together, and we talked so many things very, very deep you know, about our lives. I think because maybe we unconscious, we knew what's happening, you know. And uh, and then I had at least this opportunity to have a good buy with him, very strong, you know. Yeah. To have this thing where not only did we get to go back to work, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people got to see music. People who really need that. There are a lot of people who need that. And they got to see it for free and they got to see it really well done, shot beautifully. It sounded beautiful. It was done, in my opinion, to perfection. Every single I was dotted and T-crossed. And I think it made for a really beautiful product. All of these things that I've done over the years, playing with the orchestra, orchestrating Gaiuti, doing the fish, doing the tab, all of these things kind of culminated at the beacon. There was a couple of moments in there where I was like, this is what I've been trying to achieve all these years. Just like, oh my God, this is it. Trey Anastasia. I sat in with Dave Matthews. That was the first sober note that I played. For me, delineating sober, meaning actual, actual like actively sober. I mean, I played plenty of sober notes before that where I wasn't you know, on anything. But in sobriety, I was still in drug court. Dave asked me to come down and I got permission 
from the judge. So that's very moving to me. I'm grateful to him for that. And he also made a huge contribution to Divided Sky during the Beacon Jams, and I don't know if I've mentioned that publicly, but Dave is a good friend and a good guy. So thank you, Dave. Wasn't surprised at all that he like stepped up. Only with 14 years of sobriety, looking back, and I even begin to see clearly the degree to which that whole thing took everything, everything. It took tab away, it took, it took fish away, it took family, everything. Health, it's a miracle. It didn't kill me. It came pretty damn close. Hi, I'm Melanie Gould. I was Trey's case manager during his time in treatment court, and I'll be the clinical director at the Divided Sky Foundation's new treatment center. You know, he was driving through Washington County one night a long time ago, and he got arrested for, I think he was driving erratically, and they pulled him over. So he ended up being referred to the program that I work with, which is the Washington County Drug Treatment Court. We work together with him to get through the program and, and get things in order as far as his sobriety and his life and his recovery, family, treatment, everything. After that, you know, we just kind of connected mostly through sobriety. Being in recovery is, is one of those things that you connect with people just because you're sober and they understand the things that go along with it, building a new life and being true to yourself and just everything that goes along with being a sober person. So we just stayed in touch and connected. And as we do in sobriety, as we get to a certain point, and then it's about giving back. My job is to refer people to treatment, different levels of treatment. And some of the facilities that I was working with were not necessarily treating our individuals as individuals. There's an idea that was floating around for quite some time. Vermont is 11th in the country for addiction overdose rates, it's very, it's a very big problem. Vermont only has two residential treatment centers. Maine and New Hampshire have 16 and 17 respectively. So it's a problem and they need it. And so it was an obvious thing to do. My name is Beth Montori Rolls and I am the general manager of Fish Inc. and the executive director of the Waterwheel Foundation. It was definitely Trey's idea. It's something he's been thinking about for really years. The opportunity kind of presented itself to push it forward. He started really working on it. And just another one of Trey's, I have a fantastic idea. Sometimes they take a little while to come to fruition, but this one definitely came, came forward in the past. You know, now it's been like a year and a half. We had been working on what would become Divided Sky Foundation and building the, uh, the team that would open this treatment facility in Vermont, having all the conversations you need to have in order to take on a project of that magnitude, which had started with Trey sitting a couple of us down backstage at Carnegie Hall and saying, I talked to Melanie and this is what I want to do. I was definitely like, this is crazy. You're a musician and we're managers. How are we going to do this? And to his credit, Red Light Management's founder and, and Fish co-manager, Corn didn't blink at all in that moment. And he, uh, he was like, great, Trey, let's do this. He sent a text and said, this is it. We're going to do it. Here we go. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he called and said, I just talked to my manager and I think we can do this. And I didn't realize he was backstage at, I think it was Carnegie Hall. And he was like, okay, I have to go because I'm going to go play at Carnegie Hall, but we're going to do this. So that's how it started. And that was two years ago. 
And it's really just been a cool, fun, awesome ride ever since. I want to say something for the guy who just wrote in for Matthew. Weekly donation for my son, Matthew, who uh, died from an overdose. And um, we want to send your family so much love. I understand what Matthew went through. And those of you who know about this experience, uh, it's one that I had. You're a sick person trying to get well and not a bad person trying to get good. And it's really hard. It's really hard. And that's what we're trying to do here. Because when I needed help, and I needed it badly, and everybody up on this stage was around me then, and no, I couldn't stop to save my life. And I got help. There was help that was available to me. And what we're all trying to do here is create a situation where maybe some other people can get the help that they need. And I just want to send very much love to Matthew's family tell you that we're thinking of you right now we understand everybody who's donating and everybody who's folding laundry and everybody who's dancing around in their kitchen thank you for being a part of this with us thank you this is a big we you know we're all doing this together washington county new york and vermont obviously border each other he was on his way to vermont when he got arrested in washington county so we're very close in distance the area is so saturated with heroin and, and drugs and overdoses that regardless of what state, it's just the area. A lot of stuff comes up out of the city, right up into our area and then over into Rutland, which is just north of the Ludlow Treatment Center. Oh, Windsor County had 25 overdoses. Windsor County is a small, that's where Ludlow is. That's a small county. Well, every one of those is just a huge community tapestry of pain teachers and friends and mothers and grandfathers, you know, this, the person who like really incomprehensible. So it was nice to see the community support and also the community support in the fish community of all the people who wrote in all these nice things and had nice comments and stuff during the Beacon Jams. It was very moving for me. The fans are amazing. The fans that have donated for years to the Waterwheel Foundation People just come out of the woodwork to say, thank you, and here's some money, and we hope that you do great things because, because it's needed, because I have friends, family, or, or you know, people who are in recovery themselves for many years that just say, we want to help. So it really goes back to the fan base of, of FISH. They're diehard fans, but it's also, they're very giving and kind and understanding, and that's, you know, amazing. Realistically, we're hoping to help a lot of people. But at the same time, I think that with, you know, with Trey behind it, it's really raising a lot of awareness as well to the fact that this is a big social issue that we really need to tackle. The Beacon Jams, I don't know anybody who, who didn't watch every night of that and say, God, that was just amazing. Not just the music. The music is amazing, hands down, without a doubt. But having him share his own personal story, uh, feeling like he can share that now and not hold back on saying that he felt hopeless because other people can resonate with that. That makes sense to those who are still struggling because that is what you feel. I think because the pandemic was such a huge contributor to both alcoholism, drug addiction, mental health issues that we have to talk about it now. So he can go out and say, hey, this is what I've been through. Everyone can identify with addiction and hopefully recovery and, and see themselves in people who do recover. Trey has endless energy. It never, he never stops. It's hard not to want to collaborate with him because he's just gonna, you know, he's just one of those people. You can almost feel it. I've said that to him before that like, like Trey, could you just stand back like a foot or so because you're freaking me out? <laughs> Cause he not just, he, the energy comes off of him. Seeing everyone get behind the Divided Sky Foundation's mission and, and being able to raise that much money for a really good cause. It was just really heartwarming. You know, and the amount of money that people donated is beyond. I think only in this community would people do that. It's really beautiful. And the cause is beautiful. I've never been part of a project that felt so good in my heart. I'm so glad that we're able to contribute this to a community that really needs it. It's hard really to express how meaningful this is to be in such a community doing something good in the midst of all this. Just like, I'm getting chills.
And Andrew Whitaker, hi from Burlington, Vermont. Oh man, um, do you want me to say that? Yeah, that's cool. Well, struggling with alcohol and I can relate. I had big problems and I really get it, I really do. And Andrew, hang in there. And there's a lot of people. You are not alone. COVID has not been good for drinking and addiction. It's been very rough for people. So Andrew, who just wrote in, you're not alone. So hang in there. You're always writing. You're creating like a a sculpture, which is kind of like what the Beacon Jams was. That's the sculpture. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's constant, and you're including people and being together. I love this period. I love the music that's happening and the family and spirit. And I'm so grateful every day. I can't even really verbalize it. If Trey's heart and joy wasn't in everything he does, I don't think that he would have the same response from his fans. It's like part of what gets people is the authenticity, you know, how truthful it is to where he's at. And so he, you know, he, we've seen him go through different phases, different fans, different lineups. And the common thread is more than any like one musical ingredients. It's him. It's him being all in. There's always something new over the horizon. There's some new thing that he has not been discovered yet like musically or songwritingly and you're only going to find those things if you get new ideas and the only way you're going to get new ideas is through new human beings i think you know the people with a different take on it's like well no don't do that try this it's like well i never would have thought of that you know that kind of thing and i think that's why he uh he likes doing that so much. For many years, I was like, oh, I, I'm not going to collaborate. I, I got these ideas and like, the, I know what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> and then I met Trey and he's like, fuck that. He's like, no, you know, you just go for it. Just, you know, forget, you know, I think in some ways he taught me this, like forget about what you want it to be. And then it will become what it's supposed to be which I think is very, there's a lot to that, a lot to that. My whole life, right from the beginning, I love being with my friends. So a lot of songs that I co-write start off as joyous explosions of laughter and friendship. It's a very strange thing that you enjoy myself. It's like a lifetime diary and I didn't edit out the humor. Is my whole songless so we're we're you know, sleeping in a car me and fishman were 19 years old we're playing street music <laughs> two funny things happened one was i was like sitting in the back of the car and the, i had some thought in my head like oh my god i gotta explain it to fish and i, I was like boy I was like man boy man god and like he started laughing he's like what is this boy man god and then we just stick it in the song okay tom brings some poems to a songwriting session i bring some grooves i got my guitar blah, 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 we write a song, we write another song, then we're standing in the kitchen and I've got this groove that I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I'm dancing around, I got my guitar on. And we start drumming on the kitchen, I'm slamming the kitchen doors. I'm like, Tom, man, how do you really feel? Write it down, come on. How do you really feel? Come on, out with it, be bold. And he's like, time to get out, I paid my dues. I need to shout, there's no time to lose. And I'm like, yeah. And then I go, I grab the mic and I'm like, this world, this world, this crazy world I know, it turns, it turns. The long night's over and the sun's coming up, which sounds like a Trey kind of thought. And Tom's kind of thought is the mirror secret is I'm losing my hair. And I'm grabbing the mic, singing it, and he's writing on the pad. And then I'm like, everything's right, just hold tight. And then, come on, man. He's like, starts harmonizing along. And we're like banging on the fucking kitchen doors. This is like an organic moment. I don't feel any different writing foam or 46 days or 
the hundreds of other songs that I've written, you know, it's just like breathing. Like I do it every day too much. It's like, I want to stop. And sometimes I wish I could, uh, I almost wish I could stop. It's like, I have too many songs now. Like I, I just, but I love it so much. It's always happening, you know, if you really look for it. Duke Ellington Gershwin, you know, the dead had that, you know, it was the 60s and 1967. They were surrounded by all that change that was happening. Well, this is a period of change. This is just as volatile. All great art comes out of volatile periods because it's important. But this is a period of change. It's now. This is it. You know, grab it. Stop looking backwards. You know, like be in the present. John Lennon. Jerry Garcia, Joni Mitchell. There are titans of music and they are them. What's the lesson that they teach us? They lived in the era that they were in and fearlessly figured out who they were. Okay, so the, this is the thing about Tab. I saw King Sadia Day in 1983. I was obs obsessed with the layered and inclusive dance quality that they had this thing that there's layers of musicians and everyone was invited into this world of inclusiveness at that concert and was pointing to something much more timeless. It seemed to be pointing backwards and forwards at the same time. That's what we wanted to pick up on in our own way, in our own way. So, uh, what have you guys been up to recently? Anything interesting happened since Mexico? <laughs> what you been doing? Seen any good TV? This is just unbelievable, you guys. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Quietly you say to me, the time has come for you to be alive again. Or so you say and turn away Then you must wait another day outside again Summer's coming and I'd like a review 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 I hope the land around you yields A crop like all the other fields And then your waiting might make sense As if the time spent on the fence Waiting for the shoe to fall Could stop the crumbling of your wall Summer's coming in, I like a review. 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 The time's come for you to be alive again. Live Again is brought to you by Osiris Media. Executive producers are RJB and Matt Dwyer. Produced by Eric Renner-Brown. Interview and production assistance from Jesse Jarnell. Art by Mark Dowd. And a special thanks to all of the people who helped make this show a reality. Trey Anastasio, 
Ciro Baptista, Oteil Burbridge, James Casey, Ben Collette, Natalie Cressman, Carmel Dean, Bryce Goggin, Melanie Gould, Don Hart, Jennifer Hartswick, Patrick Jordan, Russ Lawton, Tom Marshall, Mitzi Montoya, Ray Patchkowski, Beth Monturi Rolls, Kevin Statzer, and Jeff Tansky. I'm Wendy Rollins, and thank you for listening. Osiris.